It's about him living in the desert at Midian and seeing God, seeing God in the burning bush. And remember, one of his chief disqualifications that he laid on himself, God called him and he says, I don't know, God, I just don't know if you got the right person or not. But one of the things he said was, I don't, apparently he had a stuttering problem or something like that. And he said two things when he said that. He said, you know, I don't talk so, uh, I don't talk so good. And he says, neither before I talked to you or since. So even during all this time, God, didn't you even notice that I'm stuttering the whole time? But it, I mean, it's not like God didn't know and he was going to take care of it. God says to him, who made your tongue? Yeah. <laughs> who made the ears of the people that are going to hear you? I can, I can take care of that problem. Anyway, so we, we move with that into, so we had him being born. And we had him being called in the desert, and now he's in Egypt. And at the end of chapter 4, we had that he had met with the leaders of the children of Israel, the, the Hebrew people, and they said, sounds like a plan. That brings us to chapter 5. And he says, uh, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. Remember those words. Let my people go. Four words that are just going to come. Uh, it's going to be repeated over and over. Um, just like uh, when you hear the when you hear the musical notes. Dun 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 dun. We all know that, right? One, two, three, four. Let my people go. It's it's going to happen over and over in in this song that gets sung. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So that's the story that they're telling about this whole thing. But it's all going to be deliverance. Um, are they lying? No. They're going to go out to the wilderness. Just no. But the plan is, God's plan is for them to be delivered permanently. Them going to the wilderness, wilderness is not a lie. And God already said, Pharaoh is not going to buy into this plan. His heart is going to be hardened. So, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? That's Yahweh. Who is the Yahweh? And Yahweh means I am. So, Pharaoh doesn't say, who do you think you are? But that's the attitude, the same, same way. Who does he think, who does he think he is? This God that you're talking about. Who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now that's, that's unique because Egypt did not have a shortage of gods. But had they ever met with one single one? No. And you think about it, none of the gods anywhere had they ever met with the person. But they said, Aaron and Moses said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with a pestilence that foreshadowing right there with a pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron. Now remember, he knows Moses and he probably knows Aaron too. Aaron's three or four years older than Moses. He was before, born before all of this throw your kid in the Nile stuff. It says, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to the labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. Um, said that's, I don't know if it's, the point of all that is they work so that we can feed them and, and all that works out, but you're messing things up. So Pharaoh is not one to be boss. And he said, so the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, okay, so there's different levels of, of people who are bossing the Hebrews. There's the taskmasters taskmasters and their officers. That's two of the people. We'll find the third in a second. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Um, so, so to make these bricks that are baked, 
somehow the straw was beat up and it created a fiber that held the clay together and it made better bricks. And so it, before, hay has been brought to the Hebrew people and so their brick making, all they did was mix up the clay or whatever and make the bricks. But he says, uh, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. So not, they're going to have to take time to go get that, but they're going to still have to make the same amount of bricks. Same amount of people, same amount of bricks, but twice as much labor is involved. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. He's saying if they, if they were, it's kind of like when your mom said, I'm bored. Did y'all yes. ever do that? No. I actually never did that. Um, but I, it's, our moms never said we're bored. <laughs> the kids said I'm bored. <laughs> that's what I mean. When I was a kid, I never, yes. I don't think I ever she said I was bored. I knew better. But if I'd said, if, the point here is that they, Pharaoh thinks they're not busy enough or they wouldn't have time to think about going out and sacrificing the wilderness. So, um, let more work be laid on the men. Here we are right here. Let more work be laid on them that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. They won't have enough time. If we make them busy enough, they won't have enough time to talk to Moses and Aaron. And the taskmasters of the people, that's the third bunch. We have the taskmasters and their officers and the taskmasters of the people and their officers. Oh, no. And went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says the Pharaoh, not give you straw. Go get your own straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people that were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurt. I guess they didn't have access to actual hay. So they had to go out and cut weeds or, you know, Johnson grass or whatever to, to make their bricks with. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, hurry up, fulfill your work. Your daily quota is when there were straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel. So that's the third group. There's the Egyptians, which were uh, officer, taskmasters and their officers. And then there was these, this bunch is Hebrews. Also, the... Agents. The officers of the children of Israel, whom the Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them. So the taskmasters set, Egypt, set Hebrew people, which is probably who was griping when after Moses killed one of the Egyptians. That was probably a taskmaster that he killed. And then he found, the, the next day he found somebody griping at a Hebrew person, but they were both the same. That's who this is right here. Um, the officers of the children of Israel, whom the Pharaoh's taskmaster just set over them, were beaten and were asked, why haven't you filled your task in making bricks both yesterday and today as before? And the officers to the children of Israel came and cried out to the Pharaoh, saying, why are you dealing with dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And that's interesting that they feel comfortable with telling uh, Pharaoh, your plan is bad. Uh, so, uh, but he said, you're idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work. For no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the same quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. So they weren't changing his mind. Then as they came out from the Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, thanks a lot. Let the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us abhorrent in the sight of the of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Abhorrent means stinky. You've made us a stench in his nostrils. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, um, said 
Moses goes to Yahweh and says, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you've sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and neither have you delivered your people at all. Now, God's already told him what was going to happen, but, and, but he's whining about it. I don't think the Jews are ready to go either. Yeah. I don't think the Jews are ready to go either. I think God had to make it bad enough that they wanted to leave. They, they're used to the way things are. The proof of that's in the pudding. When they get out in the desert, in the wilderness, they're so disappointed that they don't have any place to be buried. That, and they're griping about being let out of Egypt. Um, a question I have is that in this, the meantime, you know, Jacob's message Sunday was in the meantime. What, what do we do in our lives when we, we're praying for something and we're waiting for the, whatever that thing is to happen? And the question is, what are, what's your attitude in the meantime when you're waiting? Because that's where we're at right now. Moses' biggest problem is he isn't seeing, seeing Pharaoh hurting any. He's going to feel better in just a minute. So when we get to chapter six, then the Lord said to Moses, now you, God tells Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. <clears throat> For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. In other words, I'm going to make them so abhorrent. I'm going to make them so stinky stinky, that he's going to drive them out. I mean, there are consequences that are unforeseen. How many of you have ever seen that before? There are consequences that Pharaoh has no knowledge of. And um, boy, is he going to find out. Well, James 1 talks about falling into trials and temptations. Okay. So you're not expecting it. Exactly. You just fall into it. Right, right. Well, for Pharaoh thinks he's God yeah. Yeah. right now. That's a thing. He thought he was God. How many times, though, have we thought that? <laughs> we thought, no, I got, it's easy to, it's easier to, it's easier to trust in things that you have control of yeah. directly. I, I'm, I'm good with things the way they are, but when you're having to wait on God to do things, uh, it's a little different. And, and Moses has gone 40 years on knowing exactly what's going to happen every day, knows exactly where he can feed his sheep and goats and all that stuff and where he can water them. And he knows, how, he knows. Now he's having to wait and he's having to trust God in the middle of all this. And boy, if, that, if that's not a message for us, I don't know what is. So verse two, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the I am. I am the Lord. When it's, when it's those when it's the four capital letters right there, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, that's I am, I am. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I, so I appeared to them. I appeared to them as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, Yahweh, I was not known to them. So he's saying, Moses, you're in a place where you're superior to those guys. You're in a and you're in a relationship that's superior to all that. And the word for us for us is it's interesting you find you find even Christian people that want to go back to the relationship that Moses had with with God. You find Christian people wanting to go back to the law and, and, and recapture some of that kind of stuff. And, and, but here God is saying, you have a superior knowing. You know who I am in a way that's beyond what they knew. The King James says Jehovah. Right. My Amplified says Yahweh. Yeah. Um, El Shaddai. Right. The all-sufficient okay. one. 
the breasty one. And John the Baptist was the greatest in the old old covenant, and the least, in the, you know, least in the kingdom of God was even yeah. bigger, better than that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Why would we want to go back? Which is what is what uh, Paul's message in Hebrews is. But okay, so I'm the Lord. I appear to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers, and I've also heard the groaning. So that's one thing. That's a covenant right there with the Abrahamic covenant. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel and the Egypt, uh, Egyptians keep in bondage. I've remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the I am. Um, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that the I, that I am the I am your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to Abraham. I promise to Abraham, but you're going to live in it. That So everything is a superior, um, essentially superior covenant. Uh, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They, this is the beginning of their murmuring and complaining. They, well, um, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, well, the children of Israel have heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But that's probably not a good translation. I'm I, I'm not a good speaker. It's, he said, the, the, the Hebrew children don't even listen to me. Why is a Pharaoh going to listen to me? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of the fathers of the houses. This sounds like a little bit of a side uh a side, an interlude is what I called it. It's a, it's a little bit of a sidestep. So we, he says, these are the, right here, these are the heads of their father's houses of Aaron and Moses' house. Sons of Reuben, which was the firstborn of Israel, Jacob, were, uh, Hanuk, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. That's the sons of Reuben. These are the families of Reuben. Uh, and the sons of Simeon were Jamul, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. And these are the families of Simeon. That's the second group. And then the third group, these are the names of the sons of Levi, which is where uh, Aaron and Moses come from, according to their generations, Gershon, Kothath, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimi, according to their families. Sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and uh, Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. And the sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. And these are the families of Levi, according to their gen generations. So that's where... Moses and Aaron come from. These first three kids of Jacob that are talked about right here have dubious backgrounds. They were not the best in the world. Now remember, Moses is writing all this stuff down. And he's, I mean, so essentially Moses is saying, you know, I didn't come from the greatest families in the world. Now Amram took for himself Jacobed, his father's sister, as his wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. So that's where they came from. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. The sons of Izar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, and the sons of Uziel were Mishael, uh, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Amenadab, sister of Nashon, his wife, and she bore him 
Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Pudiel as wife, and she bore him Phinehas. And these are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites according to their families. These are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, that Moses is writing those words down. He said, it's these same guys, not somebody else. These aren't stories of, that come from somewhere. I'm the guy writing it, and this is who I am, and this is where I came from. Uh, and set, the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according, according to their armies or their tribes, their groups. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel. These are the same Moses and Aaron. Is there any doubt? And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. How shall the Pharaoh heed me? Again, I'm, I stutter, God. So the Lord said to Moses, okay, I've made you as God to Pharaoh and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I'll harden the Pharaoh's heart. I, okay, here's the plan. I'm telling you very clearly. This is exactly what's going to happen. You're going to say those things. I will harden the Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in Egypt. So I'm hardening his heart so you will get to see all these signs. Everybody's going to know that I'm God. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Nobody's going to doubt who did it. It's going to be so great. Then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. Uh, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when the Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. We've already seen that before. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just that, just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before the Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Eben. And they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. Now, that's... That might be a good, this, that may be a way, good way to respond. If somebody's done a miracle, oh, that's no big deal. Here, I'll, I'll get my, I'll get my magicians and they'll do the same miracle. So they throw down their rods and there's also begun snakes. What's the big deal? Everybody can make snakes out of their sticks. Right? <laughs> Need a pen and teller there. Fool. But. <laughs> But right here, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. The king snake. Whoa! I, they wanted one rod left. I hadn't expected like I hadn't expected that. Now, y'all, that's not a bad plan. Okay, you did a trick. I could do a trick. What's the big deal? But now, every other time that the his magicians do the trick, it's dumb. It's, it just gets dumber and dumber. Okay. Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them. Even though he saw the, the, the trick that his magicians did wasn't so tricky after all, he didn't heed them. And as the Lord had said, I mean, so just like God said, it happened. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refused to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning. So every morning the Pharaoh got up. And he went down to the Nile and he, I don't know if he just took a bath to just have, you know, get his day started or if there was some religious ceremony that he did, but he went down to the river to, to do something and Moses knew he was going to be there. And he said, so go down in the morning when he goes down to the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him and the rod which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand and you shall say to him, the Lord God of Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river and the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink. 
And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Okay. We have a red river, don't we? We know what, we know what that red water looks like. Whatever, but we can also get fish out of that same water, can't we? This is different from that. A lot of people say this is some kind of runoff from sandstone or whatever. No, we have that. This is something different because the, whatever it is in the water, it kills all the fish. And this is as the, as the Pharaoh goes down to bathe, this is the last time he bathes for a little while. The Lord spoke to Moses, uh, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand. So Aaron is the one that does it over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds. Now he didn't go to every single one. I think he goes to the Nile and waves his, uh, waves his thing over it and it all happens. It affects everything. The ponds, the rivers, uh, their pools of water, even if it's not connected to the Nile, it, it's going to affect the pond. It's going to affect the swimming pool in their backyard over all the pools of water, then they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. So if I've got a thermos in my house, that's going to turn into blood also. Uh, so all the idea of, oh, it's runoff from somewhere getting in the water, no, because that, that wouldn't affect a pitcher that I have in my refrigerator, right? And that's exactly what happened, pictures of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river and inside of Pharaoh and inside of his servants. So they see all this happen with their own eyes. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. That does not sound good. So that's the first plague. The water becomes blood. Um, There was one pre-plague miracle, which was the rod turning into a snake. But the first plague is the water becomes blood. Actual, honest-to-goodness blood. Um, It says, verse 22, it says the... The magicians of Egypt did the same thing. I'm getting right there. Sorry. That was was dumb. (laughs) I was wondering that too. Where did they get water to turn it into that? But whatever they did. But okay, now, you know, I told you when they threw their, when they made their rods turn into snakes, that's okay plan. But when you've got, for somehow they had one last pitcher of clear water and they go, we can do that too. Now it's blood. Oh, wait a minute. I should have got a drink, drink before I did that. Because, and so that's, that's the second time that they've tried to copy the miracle. But how is that helpful? Well, I think God did it through them too. I mean, just out of their stupidity. Oh, okay. He, yeah. Some people want to give so much power to Satan, but he's, Satan has always been a deceiver with his mouth. He doesn't right. have that supernatural stuff. So you think God made their trick work too? Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and later on, it get, and it just gets dumber. So the magicians did it, uh, did so with their enchantments, and the Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. But whatever it is, he goes, no, oh, they can do the same thing. See, no, see, that's, that's how What's the big deal? Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink. So they drank from some kind of well or an underground cavern or what, just the same way we do. We get water from out of the ground. They did that. But, but some people didn't have access to that kind of water. Um, maybe the magicians already had wells that they got water from for some reason. And so that's where they got the clean water. But uh, any of the water that was natural water, which most of the people had access to, what does this do when when the normal provision that people have gets taken away from them? What's their attitude towards Pharaoh going to be? I mean, it's going to be, well, no big deal. We don't care what those Hebrew people do. We don't care anything about that. But my, wait a minute, my wa- I don't have any water to drink? I can't just go down to the Nile and get me a bucket of water and haul it back? I didn't better take 
Man. But the Pharaoh turned and went to his house. Neither was his heart moved. So all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. <coughs> and seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So <coughs> they went at least seven days with that river blood and the, everything stinking. Everything that lived in the river died. So seven days later, we have plague number two, which is frogs. Frogs doesn't sound so bad, does it? Yeah, but where did they get in the water? Where did what? Where did the frogs get in the water? Well, it's seven days later, and apparently oh, okay. it's clear now. I don't know. They're, the frogs aren't happy either because they hadn't been able to get in the river. They got out of the river while it was blood. But um, so the Egyptians actually like frogs. Um, it's amazing how God deals in sevens. Oh, yes, seven. yeah, sure. Seven is a very important number. Sure, word. sure. The Egyptian people like frogs. If you uh, look in uh, the pyramids, yeah. there's frog bracelets and all kinds of stuff. Um, there was even one of the gods, his wife was a frog. She had a frog head. Um, I don't know if any of you all watch The Mandalorian, but there's a group, there's a race of people that are frogs. Um, and in Star Wars, remember there was one of the, one of the leaders of the rebellion was, had a frog head. Um, so the, the Egyptians, they like frogs. No big deal, right? So Moses goes and go to Pharaoh. And God tells him, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord. Now these are, the Pharaoh's getting warnings for all these things. Tells them ahead of time what's going to happen. Um, and I, he has an option to not, receive what the plague is, right? He says, go tell him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them, if you refuse to let them go, so this is conditional, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Pharaoh goes, what's, okay, frogs, no big deal. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, into your bed, into the house of your servants and your people, into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. Everybody is going to get frogs. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers and over the ponds and cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron did that uh, and they came up. The magi And here we go again, the magicians as if they don't have enough frogs already, the magicians go and enchant and they make more frogs. How does that help the situation? Trying to, to counteract, I guess. My, my well, Pharaoh God is bigger than, or is just as big. I think that the point of it is, so you can do a trick, we can do a trick too, but it wasn't helping anything. More frogs, when you're already overrun with frogs, just doesn't help. Like I mean, I just... <laughs> It just seems so dumb, but it's the same thing, same thing. Uh, then the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Pam said we could have frog legs. How many of y'all have eaten frog legs? I love them. I love them. I love them. But this is more frogs than you have any desire. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So he, um, he gives in, right? But apparently, so apparently the Egyptians, uh, his enchanters, that didn't impress Pharaoh much because he didn't need more frogs. He says, Take them away from me. And Moses said to the Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from your, you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. So the, there'll still be frogs, but they'll just stay in the river. And so he said, tomorrow, uh, and he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God and the frogs shall depart from you. So the Pharaoh has to agree that God is God. Uh, they'll depart from your, your houses, your people, every, and they'll remain in the river only. Uh, they'll stay where they're supposed to be. 
Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord uh, concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. And they gathered him together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart again and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, no warning this time. Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. I don't know if anybody else feels like scratching their head, but that's anytime the lice gets brought up, that's what happened and I start itching. The dust of the land of Israel, of the land of Egypt, the dust of the land of Egypt becomes lice. That's a lot of lice. A lot of lice. Okay, I'm not even going to say that word anymore. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand and struck the dust of the earth and became lice on man and beast, and the dust of the land became that throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. Good plan, right? They could not. More lice, but this time they couldn't. And what's the result of that? Uh, they could not. So there were lice on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, I don't know. This looks like God to me. <laughs> this is the finger of God. So the enchanters are going, yeah, I don't know. I think Moses and Aaron may have something here. After the blood, you thought they'd woke up then. You. <laughs> My dad used to have a saying. He says, I may not be too smart, but I learns fast. That's not, my, these guys never heard my dad say that. So, uh, so, uh, oops, I went backwards. Lies, uh, this is the finger of God, but the Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as, the, just as God had said that would happen. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes to the water. So he's coming back down the, in the mornings to the water. Say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. How many times have we heard that song? Let da, 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 that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses, the houses of the Egyptians. So be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. So... There are going to be flies everywhere. And I'm thinking, flies, that's not so bad. Have you all ever been to like in the mountains and flies when you're camping or something like that and up on a lake or something and the black flies come and they are ju they just literally cover you? I don't know if, well, it is a fact that Egypt never saw flies like, they're, like they see flies. And it's, but not in the land of Goshen, not where the Israelites live. I will make a difference between my people and your people. That's big right there. Um, tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' house, and into all of the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and said, Go, sacrifice your God in the land. Moses said, It's not right. He says, Go sacrifice, but stay here in Egypt. Sacrifice to God in the land. And Moses said, it's not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians. Now, I don't know exactly what that was if the Egyptians didn't... It, I, goats were a big deal, so if you sacrificed a goat, that, that would be an abomination to the Egyptians. I don't know about sheep and... Uh, I, so I don't know if it's a protected thing or, or what it was, but somehow it's an abomination for the Egyptians to see them doing that, so they can't do it in Egypt. Uh, if we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We'll go three days' journey in the wilderness to sacrifice as he's commanded us. So Pharaoh said, well, this is so funny. This is like a little kid arguing with parents about something. Okay, I'll let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go far away. Just go, so go beg God for me. So he's still trying to maintain this control. facade that he's in control. <laughs> um, it's a farce, though. 
Go, so go and intercede for me. And Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh, entered the, uh, entreated the Lord. The Lord did according to his word, uh, the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people, and not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time again also, neither would he let the people go. This scripture says, and Moses said, it is not suitable or right to do that for the animals the Egyptians hold sacred and will not permit to be slain are those that we are accustomed to sacrifice to the Lord our God. If we did this before the eyes of the Egyptians, would they not stone us? Right. So the Egyptians counted their animals as sacred. Right. The ones that they were going to offer, so sheep, and, sheep and goats and whatever. To kill them in front of Bulls. I, they, yeah. So, but Moses begs God and God says, okay, I'll take the flies away. God does the way God does and he does it absolutely. And it says, not one fly remained in Egypt. Y'all, that's one of the biggest miracles in the whole Bible, is that there was not one single fly. Wouldn't that be nice to have? No flies? Flies actually perform a duty, don't they? I'm not going to talk about it because it's really gross, but the greatest miracle in the Bible. So for the second time, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Moses said, okay, now don't, don't deal deceitfully. No tricks this time, right, Pharaoh? Oh, no. It's like Lucy holding the ball for, for Charlie Brown. No, I promise I won't pull the ball back this time. And she does it every time. And so Pharaoh does not disappoint. Okay, chapter 9. We're not going to go any further, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint. Up to this point, all of these... Uh, the first four plagues plus one, if you count the serpent. The first four plagues are only inconveniences. Uh, it's, an, it's an inconvenience. But now it's going to start to get personal and have long-term effect. When the, when the water turned to blood, well, they went and they dug some wells and they, they were still able to get water. But some stuff is going to happen after this that has long, long-term consequences. The water was clear after seven days, but the consequences that are coming now are going to be long-term consequences. The cattle are going to be destroyed. The hail is going to come and wipe out a portion of it. Only three different crops were had fruit at that time, had headed out. Only three crops, uh, barley and uh, maize and something else. But only three crops were destroyed. And it said all the other crops were still going to grow. But because Pharaoh hardened his heart, the, the locusts, the grasshoppers are going to come and eat up the rest of it. And so there isn't anything. Left. So there's going to have these long-term effects. Then there's going to be stuff that affects their bodies and it's going to start to get really personal. And Pharaoh may be able to harden his heart. And he may be able to have an idea of, nope, I'm going to stick to my guns. But he's going to start having problems because some of the people aren't going to put up with it anymore. That's where we're going. And we'll do that next in the, time. In this story, it's the greatest transfer of wealth there is. Oh, Y'all, <laughs> Egypt... Was anybody else absolutely fascinated when they studied Egypt back in school? Kids don't study it anymore. No, I didn't. Oh, I did. We drew, we made plaster pyramids and we, uh, and we studied all that stuff. Texas. What? Texas. Yeah. That was different. How come? Well, it just was. Okay. Well, I was, in the fourth and fifth grade, I was utterly fascinated, and I studied Egypt a lot. 
I wanted to be an archaeologist and go discover something like King Tut's tomb. Um, Y'all have seen pictures of King Tut's tomb. That blue lapis lazuli um, uh, covering and gold on his coffin. Imagine that's the same Egyptians that gave all their stuff to the Israelites. Just take whatever you want and go. The greatest transfer of wealth. Um, The Egyptians were thousands of years ahead of the people that most of us are descended from. The, The Middle East and the Far East was technologically so advanced compared to Europe and um, England and Scotland and and any place else in the world. This little section from from around the Mediterranean east all the way through India and into China and all that stuff, they were so advanced in medicine and all the things that they did. And Well, there's nothing new under the sun. I I know that, uh, but they, it's been newer to us than it was to them. Um, they had stuff way before we did. And that that's the culture that Moses and Aaron have come into, and they are finding out that who God is. In the Amplified, long ago I was reading it, I probably should read it, but it said the brick, the archaeologist looked at the brick. Right. Some had straw and some didn't. Okay. But they had oats that they did in water and mixed with the clay, and it made the, the bricks softer and more pliable. Oh. Huh. So, an oat. An oat? Oats, oats instead of uh, straw. straw. Huh. Interesting. I wonder if that's when they didn't have any hay. Well, they had to use their food. Well, the, it, it's going to be apparent that they're going to have more food than Egyptians in a little while because the plagues aren't affecting them. So It says they found out that while many did contain straw, many also did not, leaving the impression that the Bible was wrong. But as usual, in such cases, sooner or later it is shown that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, Psalms 19.7, who knew no better than to doubt the truth of God's word. It is known that the oak straw boiled in water when added to the clay made the clay much easier to handle Without the organic material obtained from the straw, the difficulty of making the bricks was greater increased. Mm. Um, it may have helped them as they baked to not crack and fall apart, too. It says the, fa- so, the so fact my- that the brickmakers of Egypt found out use of straw essential, whether visible evidence remains or not, is fully borne out as various writers have asserted. There you go. So that's amazing, I thought, mm-hmm. as I looked at that. <laughs> All of the... There's some construction that happens now that's using older methods, and they, they're they mixing that stuff. They're mixing clay and concrete and all kinds of things with, with a straw-type thing, some kind of organic matter to uh, um, so that it doesn't crack. They do it so the bricks don't crack. That fiber holds it together. Um, well, there's lots of things we don't know. <laughs> but we learn them. Really? We learn them. We learn really? Them. There's things we don't know? It's well, amazing how much... We don't need to know. That's true. Um, it's, it's amazing the, this culture that comes out in the Bible that you know, we didn't know a lot about it. the The Sphinx wasn't discovered until 1900s, and the the pyramids, the Great Pyramids at Giza, nobody knew those existed um, until relatively recent years. What did you study that in history? Mm-hmm. We had to just take, history, had like ancient world history. Oh, okay, ancient world history. Yeah. world history, world history. Yeah, okay, world history. I did not Geography, yeah, I did not all that kind of stuff. But I actually got that in elementary school. That's when I got 
turned on to it because okay. it's just it's fascinating. Well, we moved I, around too much. I missed a lot of stuff. Oh, all right. I have one more prayer request okay. that I forgot to mention. We've got six kids going to camp next week. So just pray for those six kids. Already been speaking. We already done that. They've been speak we've been speaking that they receive what they need to yes, and retain yes. what the, they receive the too. Helpers have <laughs> strength. <laughs> Going. And there's only one boy going, so all, she'll have all. She'll have five girls, um, plus a cabin full of girls. But she'll have all five, five girls. Uh, the camp that our kids go to is a very spiritual camp, and they can they can really get under they can understand about the working of the Holy Spirit in ways that I in in a new. At a young age, way before I ever knew there even was a Holy Spirit. Yeah. I was uh, 11. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These are all uh, 8 to 10. And I've prayed with the three-year-old that received. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. But they should, you know, a child does not have to repent of anything. Right. They just have to confess Jesus as Lord. Mm -hmm. So they should be seeing it in their parents in the worship and just come along in it. Right, right. And it's a natural thing. It's nothing, uh, you know, it. we've made it to be something that it's not. They don't have to unlearn things. That's right. A lot they of them don't. are, are yeah. I'm, I hate to talk about Logan but because he might be listening, but Logan as a young boy was spiritually aware of things that I hadn't. Well, that's the way it should be. Never thought of. Um, he scared us sometimes, and but things that he knew. So let's let me pray for them right now and for us as we go. Father, just lift up these kids that are going to to camp. the The kids this week, this next week, and the youth after that. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would have an encounter with you, with the Holy Spirit, that they would receive what they need that prepares them later in life yes, to deal with, yes. man, some of the junk that they're going to have to deal with. But I pray that this be a start to a, to a <laughs> spiritual journey that, that is just the very first step, a stepping stone to a long and fruitful life, a fruitful life in the, in the Spirit. Um, bless us as we go from here. Keep us healthy as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.